So I have a question for you all this morning to think about. So what do you think the movies, The Lord of the Rings and Finding Nemo have in common? Right? They seem completely different, two different genres, da 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 But they actually have something in common. So they both follow what, if anybody's an English teacher here or theater or, you know, you might follow me on this. They both follow what is called the hero's journey. And they both do it in a way that takes completely ordinary folks and make them heroes. And then they both travel to somewhere dangerous. They survive and then they come back again. Right? So in the Lord of the Rings, we've got an ordinary and unimposing hobbit who is named Frodo Baggins. And so the story goes is that he goes to Mordor and back again fighting all sorts of evil creatures and nearly dying to save Middle Earth. And yet he makes it back again. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have Finding Nemo, a story about a nice little clownfish named Marlin, who's a dad to a little fish named Nemo. And Nemo gets lost, so Marlin has to travel across the entire ocean, navigating things, fighting things again to find his son and return home. So again, even though they're completely different movies, we love them because... As people, we love the hero's journey. That's why it's repeated over and over and over again in books and movies and plays. We love this idea of having a normal life disrupted and going on this grand and miraculous adventure. But what I really like about these two examples of these stories is that they turn ordinary folks into heroes. These aren't superheroes that have hidden special abilities or magic powers or lots of money or we find out that they are the chosen ones. We see that they are just ordinary folks who are able to show courage when the situation required it. And that is something that I can relate to. And so what's interesting is when we look at the chapter 6 of Daniel, which is our scripture passage today... And it's the very well-known story of Daniel in the lion's den. It has that same narrative arc of the hero's journey, the same thing in common with these movies. It takes Daniel, who was at that time an ordinary court official, who, although he did have a miraculous life, he never really had this real brush with death before, not up until this point. It took him to a dangerous place to look death right in the eye and then back again. So let's get into the scripture here to show you what I mean. We see in the beginning of chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, Darius, who was the king of where Daniel had been exiled to at the time, decided to appoint 120 chief administrators throughout the kingdom. One of these main officers was Daniel. But here's the problem. Daniel specifically had all this success and the other guys, the other 119, well, they were jealous. We see the other officers and chief administrators tried to find some problem with Daniel's work for the kingdom. But they couldn't find any problem at all because Daniel was trustworthy. And we see here's the kicker. 
So these men said, we won't find any fault in Daniel unless we can find something to use against him from his religious practice. And so thus we see the plot thickens. We see all these advisors and high ups that are just determined to take Daniel down and convince the king to sign into law that anyone who prays to anyone but the king or the king's God has to be thrown into a pit of lions. Yay. Now, I'm sure when they were proposing this law, they probably framed it really well. I'm sure they played it up. This is going to be a great way to ensure loyalty to you, king. This is going to be a great way to make sure we're all on the same page. We're going to have unity in the kingdom because we're going to be praying to the same gods. But you and I both know we're reading the whole story. We know that they are gunning after Daniel and Daniel specifically here. And what's interesting is when you read through the scriptures, you see that there's this really strong point and repeated emphasis that this law can't be overturned once it's signed. We see in verse 8, Now your majesty issue the law and sign the document so that it cannot be changed as per the law of Media and Persia, which cannot be annulled. And so that seems kind of strange to us. In our time, in our culture, we think if someone had the power to issue an executive order, they could just change their mind their next day if they found out it was a mistake. I mean, they had the power to issue it. Didn't that mean they have the power to issue another one that changes their mind? But in that time, in that culture, that was not the case. Once a law like this, it was signed. It was a done deal. There were no takebacks. So, of course, our friend Daniel here hears this edict, and so he knows exactly what the stakes are. And so he has to make a decision, and what does he do? And so I think it can be really easy for us to puff up Daniel into some superhero who is untouchable and unrelatable for us today. We can focus on all the remarkable things and achievements we is, has, he has had in the past. We can mix him up with the heroic acts of his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who really already had looked death straight in the eye. Or we can take another look back over the course of the story so far and realize that, yes, Daniel has lived this long life, exiled away from home, yes, He has had the opportunity to speak truth to power, yes. But if we read through all the stories, has Daniel ever had his life directly threatened? No. Has there ever been a law that was directly targeted at him? We haven't seen it come up yet. In fact, he's had all these years of power and prestige. He was kidnapped from Israel in exile to be exiled when he was a young man. And we're from the biblical scholarship. We're thinking he's an older guy at the end of this. He has seen at least three different Kings over the course of this entire story and had all that prestige and privilege to speak truth straight to powerful Kings over that entire time. And now, and only now he finds himself at this crossroads So Daniel naturally goes home. I imagine it's what I would do in this situation, go home first to think about it. 
I imagine that he paces the floor wondering what to do, wondering how seriously they are going to enforce this law. Maybe he even rationalizes that he has to be safe in the privacy of his own home, but maybe he also thinks, am I being too safe if I'm just doing this in the privacy of my own home? So Daniel does make a stand, but he makes a simple one. He prays, but in his home. He keeps the windows open, yet he is still in the privacy of his own space. He doesn't pray any extra, any more publicly, any more profoundly, but he sticks his guns to his regular three times a day prayers. I don't doubt this is courage. This is courage, yes, but this is courage in a way that I can relate to and I would hope you can relate to as well. He didn't try to make a scene because of this law, but... He had the courage to make sure that this law didn't stop him from having his regular and routine religious practice either. And so, of course, the story goes that Daniel was not safe in the privacy of his own home. Those advisors and those higher-ups were watching his house. Shocker. And so they catch him praying and they report it straight to the king who in the greatest of irony, is completely shocked that he actually has to enforce the law that he wrote. Again, remember, in this culture, that word is law. There's no take-backs. He has to enforce it no matter what. But it's interesting to note that even in all of this, even the king has faith. In verse 16, we see, So the king gave the order, And they brought Daniel and hurled him into the pit of lions. And the king said to Daniel, your God, the one you serve so consistently, will rescue you. And then it's interesting here. I feel like to add drama to the story, we get all the next verses entirely from the king's perspective. We don't see anything about what's happening to Daniel. It's a complete mystery to us. We see the king fasting. We see him tossing and turning all night. He can't sleep. And then in verse 19, at dawn, at the first sign of light, the king rose and rushed to the lion's pit. And as he approached it, he called out to Daniel, worried, Daniel, servant of the living God, Was your God, the one you serve so consistently, able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel answered the king, Long live the king! My God sent his messenger who shut the lions' mouths. They haven't touched me because I was judged innocent before my God. And I haven't done anything wrong to you either, your majesty. There... And back again, Daniel makes it. He goes into the lion's den and he comes out unscathed. And so then we see, maybe doesn't seem fair to us, but in the customary story arc of the time, the tides are turned on the accusers. The king makes sure that they are thrown into the pit and yeah, it doesn't turn out well for them. 
And so we see that David gets lots of riches, lots of status. The king proclaims faith in the God of Israel. And it's this nice, big, and happy ending. And so when we look at this narrative, when we look at this story in Scripture, we are reminded that even in the hardest of times, God will bring deliverance to God's people. The powers of the day which are the fellow advisors in this case, they will not win forever. For later generations reading this story, the powers of the day could mean a lot of different things. I imagine for those in Jesus' time, they would probably mean the Roman Empire, that the Roman Empire would not win forever. For us, I feel like there's a lot of things that we could insert in there that we struggle with today. Poverty, pandemic, racism, sexism, you name it. But I think what's so critically important for you and me to remember is that this is not just some far away hero's tale. Not just something untouchable for us to think is a nice story and not do anything about. We have to remember that the strength for the journey that God gave Daniel is the same strength for the journey that God gives to us. That the courage that Daniel was able to display is, in fact, attainable, tangible courage for us. That seeing even the king that signed this edict into law That he clearly changed his tune so quickly against this unjust law. That's pivotal. That reminds us that we have to hold on to those slivers of hope that the injustices in our world can and must be changed too. And although our circumstances are different today... God still calls ordinary people like you and me to stand up in our own ways and our own little bits of courage, too. Our church is a member of an organization called Polk County Peace. It's a group of different churches from all across Polk County, different denominations, different racial backgrounds. And they come together to advocate for different justice issues at city and county levels. So each year we come together for a meeting we call the Nehemiah Action. I know some of you have attended this meeting in the past. It's a really big rally once a year with government officials to lay out the issues and ask for their help in solving them. And so at this year's action, I found myself particularly moved by the speech of Commissioner Stephanie Madden, who is a city commissioner here in Lakeland. I loved her speech because of how Honest and heartfelt and passionate, I felt it was. She admitted that at her first rally, she was terrified of making that commitment of saying yes. She was looking at the reality of, well, I'm only one of seven commissioners. I can't influence what the rest of them are going to think. But then she shared what gave her the strength, what I would say gave her the courage to say yes and keep going is the people who gathered together in peace. It was looking out and seeing regular folks who broke down denominational, 
racial, and socioeconomic silos to actually agree and work together on issues that they thought were important. That that gave her the courage to go forward on these issues. Yeah, she's only one of seven city commissioners in Lakeland, which is not the biggest place in the world, but she showed that courage by showing up and saying yes. And I love that she said that her courage came from the courage of just regular folks like you and me from our congregations coming together across those denominational, racial, and socioeconomic divisions to make a difference together. And it's not just Polk County peace. There are lots of ways to courageously and radically live into our countercultural call to love God and love others in our world today. You can get in touch with Forrest White, who is our director of missions and serving, finding out how you can engage in those ways to serve. Perhaps joining our new partnership with the Bonnet Springs neighborhood, hanging out with some of our friends from Noah's Landing on the first Saturday of every month. Another idea, even though I know it's a long way off, but we're hoping to be in the Winter Haven MLK Parade next year with our sister church, Hearst Chapel AME. Or maybe for you, it's just even just having the courage to invite someone to church. Whether that's inviting them to a service, inviting them to watch online, or inviting them to one of our events. Because even that sometimes takes a lot of courage in and of itself. Whatever your next courageous step is, know that God is with you on that journey. Just as God gave Daniel strength for the journey, strength that spanned his entire wild and wonderful life, that same God is with us too. That same God calls and equips us with the strength and the courage for our wild and wonderful lives too. We just have to be open and willing and courageous enough to answer the call. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the life and for the story of Daniel. As we conclude this sermon series today, may we not see these scriptures as far off or foreign tales. May we understand that that same strength you gave Daniel for the journey is the very same strength that you give us today. Amen. May that same feeling of comfort, that same feeling of peace, that same feeling of presence, may that be what you think of when you think of standing up in the courage of God. It doesn't have to be something superhero-like, right? It's something about abiding in the presence of God in simple yet profound ways. So may you go to abide in the love and the peace of God and share that peace and love of God with the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.